Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 26th of October 2011. For newcomers, I always start off by advising you to look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and help yourself to the audios which are there for free download. There's hundreds to choose from and hopefully you'll get an understanding of the big system that runs the world. The world doesn't just roll around in space waiting for things to happen. You'll find that big powerful groups that have been in charge of the world for a long time run the world and they plan the future and that's how they keep control. You, can, you must always plan the future to maintain control and bring your future in, in other words, if you're a planner. And that's really how it happens. That's what geopolitics, too, is all about. And you also have a, a form of geopolitics to do with the social orders as well, because everything changes, not just those in power in other countries as they get thrown out of power and replaced by puppet governments, but they also change society from within as well, because we're... we're, we're the academia is on board with this worldwide, and academia is all connected together across the planet, working towards further masters, of course, and better positions in this future society, this new world order, as I like to call it, a, a planned utopia for a few eventually down the road. Remember, we're, we're post-industrial, we're post-consumer, we're into austerity now, and basically we're the useless eaters. I'm not kidding about that because... The big players who helped design this part of the agenda wrote about this in their own books. They love to publish their thoughts for those who want to read them. So help yourself to the audios. Remember, two from the U.S. to Canada. Uh, you can buy books and discs I have for sale at cuttingthroughmedics.com, and that keeps me ticking along. And you can use a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office. Uh, some people say in cash, and you can also use PayPal. You'll find out how to do it at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll see all the sites listed there. These are the only official sites I have. Anything outside of those sites isn't mine, regardless if the name's on it or not. And uh, you'll find that um, uh, how, to, how to do the ordering is all on there. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and again, you have uh, PayPal to order uh, using the donation button. Uh, followed by an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get the order out to you. Remember, straight donations are awfully welcome in these days because we're all going through this inflationary cycle as we go through austerity, mass austerity, as I like to call it. And as I say, what I try to do is to show you the groups, the foundations, the parallel government that others have talked about. Maggie Thatcher called it that, and she joined it after she left official, her official position in politics. And also Carl Quigley, who was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, a worldwide organization, by the way. Um, and he said the same thing. It's a parallel government. Most big reporters are members of it. You have to, in fact, all big reporters, all big reporters are members of it across the world. Uh, you have to be asked into the organization. You can't simply apply for it. And you must prove your worth to the cause, the cause of global governance, as they like to call it and an ordered, planned society. 
run on a kind of socialist basis. And, of course, the big bankers uh, literally are the ones behind all of this because the CFR branches are just branches of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which was founded by the Milner Group, joining with the Rhodes Foundation, and they were all bankers, every last one of them, that founded the organization and still run it today, of course. So, and they put prime ministers and presidents in as well, and they have done for oh, 80 years now, or, or even more, according to Carl Quigley's Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American establishment. He was the historian for the group. So, you're going through, as I say, uh, to the average person, is simply a series of events. Now, all media is there not to influence uh, really the events of things, but to influence the general population's belief on the reality and the reasons of why we go to wars, etc. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix talking about this system that you think is simply evolving. And as I say, the mainstream media is there to keep that illusion going because they don't have to convince themselves at the top what they're really doing with the agenda. And it's a world agenda. It's out in the open these days, but they have to convince the public uh, for the reasons uh, that they go ahead and amalgamate whole continents like the EU, for instance, uh, rather than just pull out and go their own ways and hope they could survive. No, everyone must go down together. That's the impression they're trying to give Europe. So uh, what they're really doing is convincing the public of the necessity for giving up all sovereignty, the last bits of sovereignty to the EU and go into this world, this central banking system uh, that's going to take charge of every single country with the IMF up there, the World Bank, etc., etc., and the Bank for International Settlements, which is heavily involved in all of this today because the, the Bank for International Settlements is one of the biggest banks in, on the, the whole planet and that's the one that Quigley said would, would rise to the top. That's the one that deals with all of the, the cash uh, debts uh, and how they're going to pay off their debts, etc. And that's what they're doing right now across, across Europe. So they must convince the general populations of the necessity for, as I said, giving up sovereignty and giving all powers over to the EU. That's what the EU was designed to, to, to be, was a, a, a huge... Um, integrated corporate block, basically. It's a new type of Soviet system as well, where they can take cash from one country and give it to another, even to do with their welfare programs, take from one, give to another, etc. It's an awful powerful institution, and that's what it was meant to be. It's a power structure, and, and we should never forget that. It's not, it's economics in this system, everything runs around economics. So remember that all your laws, all your laws, revolve around economics, including murder. The simple things like murder that happens all the time across the planet. Because uh, when you get punished for murder, it's because you're taking someone who's an asset out of the picture, someone who's going to pay taxes and produce for their bosses. That's really why you get punished. And, of course, we don't call it murder when when air forces take off to, to bomb people uh, so that the big powerful people can get their, grab the assets in a country. Uh, of course, they always go in for humanitarian reasons. That's why we go and kill folk. Do you realize we're living literally in a schizophrenic uh, society? It's purposely made schizophrenic by the, those who control it because there's nothing, as I've said so, for over so many years, nothing being studied in the planet so much as man himself. 
mean, we see all these nature programs today, and they're into beetles, and they're putting little chips in them and following them across the planet, wherever they go. And even rattlesnakes in Canada, they, they, they follow with chips in them and collars. But that's nothing to do with man himself has been the most studied species for thousands of years by those who rule. And when you do control people even thousands of years ago, you don't, you don't just uh, pass on the knowledge of how to do it by word of mouth. It's written down and it's kept in archives. And archives are, are always kept. Archives of power are always kept for the few who rule. And that's a trick of holding on to uh, the system, the, the system of cash rules, basically. And it'll never change because uh, those who... and can, See, you're living in their system. I've said this for many, many years. The system that you were born and brought, and brought up in is not your system. It didn't evolve by your people uh, by itself. It was forced upon them a long, long, long time ago by those who had the money. And the whole structure of money is international. Therefore, it's an internationalist movement, of course. So everything revolves around your cash... And uh, we live, we breathe by it, actually we eat by it, we don't go and plant things anymore, it's all dependent on the cash in your pockets. Big government can't, or can't exist without it, it needs cash, and of course cash represents your labour, so when it's taken from you uh, to be given to anybody else, or even to a boss or whatever, uh, that cash is supposed to be your wages, ends up, that's called slavery actually, it's a form of slavery. Now, I've talked about perpetual wars, constant conflict is the actual term used by the military. And I've put up the site so many times about one of the articles from the military magazine when they talked about constant conflict. It's not just across the planet. As I say, it's also intercultural as well as they change all of the societies and destroy the previous cultures to bring in the new. And that's been awfully well accomplished as well. But we see this monotonous behavior, as I say, since Gulf War I, this monotonous behavior of, of going into one country after another, and that the same lies come out each time they want to attack another country. And, uh, and it works every time because the public cannot believe they're getting so blatantly lied to. That's how sheep generally are. And I say sheep because everyone's a sheep until they wake up. Now, this article here is an awful article, actually, from Fox News, and it's about the next war, of course, which the, the, Israel wants it, the U.S. wants it, there's no doubt about it. Um, and because it's the same list, you see, as a new American century group put out back in the 90s of all the countries they wanted to take out. Israel wanted them to go through one after another, whereas the U.S. wanted to have a breathing space in between to build up the propaganda before they'd invade. So anyway, this one here is about Senator John McCain, that's son of Cain for some strange reason. Anyway, he said Sunday that military action to prevent civilians in Syria, uh, protect them. Uh, it might be considered now that NATO's air campaign in Libya is ending. Now, they were already planning that long before they even went into Libya and uh, and discussing it. And they printed it out too because they say their list was printed back in the 90s. And this has simply been continued by Obama's group. It's really the same group behind the scenes. But anyway... Um, it's the same propaganda, and we had Richard Haas, who was the CFR top fella, come out and admitted that, yeah, they used all the propaganda about saving civilians, and that was an excuse to get in there. Yeah, that, that, was, that came out to the mainstream and on the CFR's own site, and I put it up there too. It's in the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. But here they go again. 
says, however, Barack Obama's administration has made it clear it has no appetite for military intervention in Syria. Well, they have to say that because he's running again, you see. So that there's nothing true and truthful in this article at all. Anyway, it says, uh, it says, uh, it says that Syria is a close ally of Iran. See, that gives, that's so Iran is bad. It's like saying the word Nazi. You know, we've already smeared them until you just mention Iran and it's like, ooh, Nazi. That sits on Israel's border. So they're taking out all of Israel's possible enemies. And says, and U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton noted Sunday that the Syrian opposition has not called for such action as President Bashar Assad's regime. Says, now that the military operations in Libya are ending, there will be a renewed focus on what practical military operations might be considered to protect civilians. So here they go again with protecting civilians, and then afterwards, the top guys who run all the newspapers, like Haas in the CFR, uh, will admit that this is a lie that they used to get in. But why do they keep giving the same lies to the general public and printing the truth? Well, they must always uh, reveal the method of how they conned you afterwards, knowing that we're all so stupid, we'll accept it the next time again, too. And that's how simple it is. So anyway, that was McCain, who, who said at the World Economic Forum in Jordan, the Saad regime should not consider that can get away with mass murder. Uh, Gaddafi made that mistake, and it cost him everything, even though, of course, they, they gave blatantly false numbers of folk who were, were being killed in the first place. And for the fact that the, the soft power tactics... Uh, that were to lead into hard power were published years ago uh, by those who set up the regime. Even the United Nations talked about it. Soft power are the NGOs that go in from outside countries and agitate. They're professional. They've been trained how to agitate and get all the students to rebel, etc. And then that's followed up by hard power. Anyway, it says Iran's rulers would be wise to heed similar counsel, etc., etc., it's not clear whether the Republican senator from Arizona was referring to America or NATO military action against the Syrian regime, which has waged a seventh-month crackdown on opposition protesters. And then they give the same kind of figures they gave for Libya. Killed about 3,000 people, according to the UN. The UN also, remember, is meant to be world government, so they depend upon wars to give themselves more power, where they can turn around and say, oh, look, dear, 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 look what they're doing now. You need world government. The United Nations was set up by the Royal Institute of International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations to be a world government. So there's nothing you can believe in a straight, blatant uh, propaganda piece like this, in which it is. And, uh, and you can't really believe, especially these, um, these top writers that work for the CFR, uh, that are on every uh, newspaper across the planet, basically, uh, and every country. Because that's their job, is to lie to you. They all want world government, and some of them have come out blatantly in their own magazines and said so. So anyway, that's what's happening across the world as far as the ongoing wars go, and uh, they haven't stopped yet, and after Syria they've got other countries to go as well on the list. Now, I've put out, and I've read articles on the air over the years, about the drug dealing coming in by the CIA into North America. It's as old as the hills, actually. We had the Iran-Contra scandals, for those that care to go back and look at them again. We've had people who worked for the, the U.S. Coast Guard, who had been in special forces before that, who came out and found out that other old mates of his old friends were working 
for the, 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 the CIA bringing the drugs into the country for well, his job was to stop them coming in. I mean, I put that up too, and that guy, I think, was eventually killed. Uh, but uh, there's nothing in newness at all. Drugs have always been used by the high elites for power. And uh, the U.S. used it. In fact, when they did go into Iraq, they dropped opium blocks of it from the air. That was in the mainstream as well. Mexican drug suspect says, the U.S. gave me immunity. And uh, this is CBS News. A Mexican drug suspect awaiting trial in Chicago is making a startling claim. He insists he can't be prosecuted because he worked as an informant and had a secret immunity deal with the U.S. government. His prosecutors say Vincente Zambadia Niebla oversaw drug running on a massive scale into the U.S., but now from behind bars at a maximum security prison in Chicago, he's making his own explosive accusations that U.S. government agents have been aiding Mexico's infamous Sonola cartel, even tipping off leaders on how to avoid capture. And we'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and just talking about the drugs coming into the US, which they've been doing for years, and there's been so many scandals in the past about uh, the CIA being involved in it. And it's not just the CIA, you'll find every intelligence group in the planet's involved in the, the cocaine industry. It's such big, big black budget cash they can get out of it too. Plus it takes down societies. You use drugs as weapons as well on societies too. Remember that, always remember that. But anyway, I'll put this link up tonight, and I'll put all these articles up tonight, in fact, at cuttingthroughmatrix.com at the end of the broadcast. And this other one is quite an, a, amazing, too. It's to do with the Justice Department. It says, Justice Department proposes letting government deny the existence of sensitive documents. Then, in other words, the Justice Department is proposing legalizing that the government can lie to you legally, in other words. You know, they've always done it. I mean, that's what politics is. But uh, it's quite interesting. A long-time internal policy that allowed Justice Department officials to, to deny the existence of sensitive information could become the law of the land, in effect a license to lie, if a newly proposed rule becomes federal regulation in the coming weeks. The proposed rule directs federal law enforcement agencies after personnel have determined that the documents are too delicate to be released to respond to Freedom of Information Act requests, as if the excluded records did not exist. And that's what they'll tell you to your face. They don't exist. It's all all a lie. So Jay Sikolov, Chief Counsel of the American Center for Law and Justice, said the move appears to be in direct conflict with the administration's promise to be more open. Despite all the talk of transparency, I can't think of what's less transparent than seeing a document does not exist, when in fact it does, Sikolov told Fox News. Justice Department officials say the practice has been in effect for decades, dating back to 1987 memo from then-Attorney General Edwin Meese. So a memo is, a memo is all they need up at the top. I guess that's their form of law. In that memo and subsequent similar internal documents, Justice Department staffers were advised that they could reply to certain FOIA requests as if the documents had never been created. That policy never became part of the law or even codified as a federal regulation, and it was recently challenged in court. 
earlier this year in a case involving the Islamic Council of Southern California brought against the FBI after the plaintiffs learned about the existence of documents denied by the FBI. A federal judge in California expressed great concern about the agency using the internal policy, not only in response to the Freedom of Information Act's request, but to mislead the court. Well, that's what they do. People seem to think we're, as we're like the movies where they, they show you catastrophe movies and all the chain of command all the way up to the president. They're all so honest and, and, and they, they can't sleep about worrying about the people and stuff like that. That's, that's propaganda. But we, we've never had transparency in any government as far as I can see, ever. So a final version of the proposal could be issued by the end of 2011. If approved, the new rule would officially become a federal regulation with the force of law. So in other words, uh, they can actually legalize lying for themselves, uh, for themselves only, of course, but, but that's what government's all about, isn't it? It's all to do with themselves, because we're just the gophers at the bottom. They're, they're kept in the dark. And also... Uh, there's uh, to do with the Eurozone crisis. I was mentioning this earlier, how they give you massive crisis that makes no sense to anybody. But the whole point is not sense. They don't have to give sense to you. The whole point of crisis is making crisis. It puts you off guard, puts you off kilter, puts you fearful. And then that the whole public will say when laws are passed, like the amalgamation of Europe, like total amalgamation, no sovereignty at all, they'll say, well, I guess what else could they do that this would all be broke if we didn't do it, or, and we'll make the excuses ourselves at the bottom. So there's an article here from the Council on Foreign Relations. It's called The Eurozone in Crisis, and this is really put out uh, as a bit of a history lesson in it, in fact. They, they tell you uh, some of the major players who helped set up the EU, uh, what their goal was. Their goal from the very f- first was economic, total economic integration, and then, of course, uh, it meant political integration, and step by step how they managed to bring it, pull it off, and always lie to the public. But they're all for it, the CFR, because, as I say, the CFR drafted all of this up, this amalgamation for Europe, a long time ago. Only they called it the Royal Institute of International Affairs at the time for the British side. And they also, from the CFR, admitted here they drafted up the amalgamation idea that, that the presidents and prime ministers signed for Canada, the U.S. and Mexico. That was on national television in Canada in 2005 when they came out as the CFR openly on television and said, we, we drafted it up and gave it to them to sign. This is a private organization. I hope you realize this. Private organizations run the world. They advise, meaning they tell governments what to do. And the CFR uh, boasts it's, it's the main advisor of governments. So that's really what you're living through. And from the CFR too uh, is, is also the health of nations. That you've probably heard about, oh, we must get everybody across the planet vaccinated. Suddenly it's a big thing, not just to, to save folk from getting killed by their own administrations, by bombing the populations, but we must also get everyone, uh, it's like hype, hype, hype about interactive diseases. Maybe not fatal, but this is a big thing from the World Health Organization. So all the top uh, players in the CFR go into action, the ones that are designated to, to do the, all the health blurbs for them. And then that's repeated through all major media because these characters who write this stuff not only are in the CFR, they are the top, they're at the top of all major media.
the Health of Nations new interactive disease map. I'll put that up too. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix and there's George from Philly hanging on the phone there. Are you there, George? Yes, good evening, Mr. Watt. Yes. How are you tonight? Good, uh, not too bad. Not too bad. It's a bit chilly outside, but it's been chilly here for yeah, a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. too. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Uh, first, I wanted to say before I got onto my topic, I've been uh, attempting, I had attempted to order your... Uh, Reality check part two, but I'm having some trouble with the PayPal, so as soon as that's resolved, I'll be uh, purchasing then perhaps a book. But uh, on to my topic, my question. I need your insight on something currently happening in the world today, uh, and it ties in with uh, the celebrity scientists involved in evolution and eugenics. Yeah. Okay, for, you know, we had uh, Herbert Spencer who called it survival of the fittest. Yep. Charles Darwin called it natural selection. Mm-hmm. More recently, the year I was born, matter-of-factly, uh, you had Carl Sagan speaking of what he called artificial selection. I call it unnatural, particularly yeah. nowadays. But you, you, you recall he... Uh, displayed a particular species of crab whose shell contours resemble the face of a Japanese samurai. So the fishermen and crabbers and what have you would toss this crab back into the uh, waters, resulting in a bumper uh, crop, if you will, of this species of crab. He called this artificial selection. Now, the other day, I came, or rather a week or two ago, I came across a news article. A man here on the East Coast approximately 10 years ago donated multiple amounts of sperm. And they were talking about it on the mainstream news. Uh, he has 50 kids across the country, 50 half kids. Yep. Now, I'm telling a friend of mine about this. He, will, he can't believe it. He won't believe it because he's normal. He can't believe that... Uh, there would be a system in place like that, which would, uh, without any control. Yeah. So we go to his computer to verify it, and then we discover that there's another man who has a hundred and uh, one hundred and seventy half children. Mm-hmm. So my question is this, and I need, I, I want your insight and input on this. Is that? Unnatural selection, artificial selection, does it matter what you call it? Um, and is the, I mean, being that it, it is artifice, mm-hmm. you know, it's man tampering with nature. Yeah. If there is no control over this, and, uh, you know, we, you, the books you've recommended to me, they, it's stated many times how they wanted to alter the human species. How does this tie into it? to this, and in which way and why, 
And the reason I, I called you to ask is because when I read the uh, mainstream news articles and hear about it on TV, they're not talking about the potential benefits or uh, negativities in regards to this. Mm-hmm. They're talking about the uh, surrogate mothers now suing, looking for child support mm-hmm. yeah. from the donors. Yeah. And if you have 170 half kids out there, you're in deep trouble in that regard. But you see that, you know, as we both know, the mainstream news, especially local mainstream news here in Philadelphia, is all gossipy. It's a magazine. It's it's like reading Maxim magazine, really. Yeah. It goes it down to the money. And I just wanted to get your your uh, input on that. In regards to what, what's true, what's not true in regards to evolution. I mean, as we all know, a great man once said, uh, a lie that's half a truth is ever the darkest of lies or something yeah. to that degree. Yeah. And plus, plus it's an, an agenda too. I mean, the, the whole, uh, I mean, science is, is just a, 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 science is a, it's a name we've all been trained to believe. With. If it's scientific, it must be true. That's what, how we were taught to think. And, and of course, you're, you're, you're yeah, seeing the magic. If it, it yeah, yeah, exactly. You're seeing you're seeing um, so many uh, scientific frauds coming out out into the open even today. I read one last or earlier in the week about cancer uh, research and how it was bogus research published for ten years. Uh, the Mayo clinics have all taken it up, so they're actually practicing bogus uh, science, uh, run on bogus theories, and they have to admit that eventually. So, but they, but. Um, you can understand the big picture behind all of this too. In Darwin's day, and it's interesting with Darwin himself. I mean, Darwin, uh, Charles Dar- Darwin was the end product of a particular inbreeding program that was being practiced. I understand Spencer yeah. wrote his stuff before Darwin. Is that correct? Yes, and you've got to understand too that Charles Darwin's father, uh, grandfather, uh, wrote basically the same book that Charles brought out. Of that book, by the it way. was to do. It was again. It was to do with most favored nation, uh, races, etc., and, and evolution, etc. Uh, but what um, was it, his grandfather's name? Oh, I can't uh, quite remember. You find it on Wikipedia quite easily. But um, the thing is, though, Charles, Charles's grandfather, his father, and himself all married the Wedgwood family. That's what, that's where they took their wives from. They were pottery folk, were they not? Uh, they were more than just pottery. They weren't actually like manual workers, no. Uh, they owned massive factories, uh, of course. Uh, very, very rich people. They very were rich, rich uh, people. like high... Uh... Yeah, and the, the name itself is adopted. But anyway, the... the what, Wedgwood is not a real, not, wasn't the real name you're saying? No, it wasn't. But, well, do uh, know what their real name was? You'll, you'll, you have to dig in, you'll find it yourself. I have to dig, okay, good. But you'll find, as I say, that, that, that uh, the Darwins only married that one family for generations. And, and when Charles's wife died, um, he, he married his mother's sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he married his aunt. And, but you find, too, that they were interrelated with the Huxleys, the Huxley family, uh, and a few other big players. So what we realize is there was a movement, not just a movement, obviously a society at that time, and probably long, long before that. I think this was just the, the tail end of something. Uh, it had been going on for generations. Uh, um, even in ancient history, uh, pharaohs would marry their sisters often uh, to keep it in the family lineage. I remember 
taking an anthropology class and they mentioned something that royalty had a something called mana, and if a commoner had a mated with royalty, the mana would kill the mm-hmm. pauper, if you will. Yeah, yeah, you had royal blood. That's what royal royal blood means, sangrial, you know. And so they had royal blood, and they sangrial, also was that the word? That's what they used in the French, yeah. And uh, the thing is, too, even the, t- the commoners were taught that if they just touched, just touched the body of a king, uh, you could be cured like like he was a messiah of a disease. And so that's what they taught the public. But um, this this whole idea of, of interbreeding and genealogy goes back even into biblical fashions. What do you think of it uh, amongst the commoners through sperm donation, where we have people of upward, who have upwards of 170 children they don't know about? Well, I tell you, it isn't haphazard, number one. You see, you've got to go back again into this movement, and and the tail end of the movement too, the Huxleys uh, into, uh, read, read Julian Huxley's books about special breeding, the population. I did read uh, Revisited. Yeah, uh, but you look at Julian Huxley, his brother, his brother was the first CEO of UNESCO for the United Nations, and he talks about it too, the need for this. And then you, you go into... Bertrand Russell's books, Lord Bertrand Russell, and he he talked about that. He said if all, we could breed out the commoner by, by he said by introducing uh, noble blood into them and do away with their inferior traits. He says, but of course they would never go for this if we made it law. So they'd have to find other ways to do it. And eventually out came out came these sperm banks. Now these sperm banks are not haphazard at all. You see. <laughs> That, no, they're not. No, and, and neither are the recipients, by the way, because these recipients. Yeah, I, before you continue, I'm sorry. I, I, I imagine, like, if I donate some sperm, mm-hmm. I would imagine they would say, "Oh, well, this woman wants this kind of child. Yeah. This donor would be appropriate for whatever their reasons might be mm-hmm. to give birth to that child." Yeah, but the woman herself will have a complete background in genealogical check right. for DNA to see if she is suitable for the type that they want to, to give her, you see. And they order the stuff in from central banks. Yeah. Would it be reaching too far to say they're trying to create a... Uh, well, they've said it themselves. They wanted to create a new species of... Human. Well, as I say, Bertrand Russell said, we couldn't force it on the public. How else will you do it? <laughs> You make it chic. You make it chic in a society where you're, at the same time, you're making men sterile. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've noticed that. I've noticed you see? some more. So you put the two things together, and absolutely you've got that. The got new that. normal here is, uh, oh, yeah, I'm 14 with a kid. My grandmother's 37. Yep, yep. That's ridiculous. That is sick. Mm-hmm. That's right. But, you know, people grow up, it's normal. I mean, they, I mean, I... I grew up in a house with a mother and father who are still together. I'm 32, and I meet people uh, who come from these broken families, and they say, oh, you come from a nice family. Like, it's a shock to them. Yeah. yeah. Like a total shock. Yeah. They oh, can't yeah. believe it. Uh-huh. And again, this was all encouraged from the top down, not from the bottom up. Right. Uh, and, and, yeah, well, that, Plato said that. I have his Republic in the basement. Yeah. Which I yeah. never would have picked up. If, uh, yeah, he, he said all, all women will, will be shared in common. And, of course, people think they're free today and that sex is you just go from one to the other. Technically, they've achieved their goal, 
by telling women they're all free to have as much sex with anybody as they want. So they've achieved a goal uh, that, that Plato talks about, where women will be ultra-promiscuous. Uh, they won't want a permanent partner. Gay and uh, heterosexual people have to, uh, you know, ha- uh, the children of both gay and uh, heterosexual people have two daddies yeah. or two mommies. That's right. So either way, you're getting uh, two different uh, father figures, mm-hmm. so to speak, both of whom are probably incompetent. Yeah, well, they're definitely biased. You know. I may be, a being, may, may be being a bit judgmental here, but I don't know. Oh, yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. The, the child's going to pick up the traits and, and the PC uh, way of life of their parents. From the father figure, he sees five days a week that he does too. Yeah, but uh, but we're definitely living in a, a eugenical society. It's all eugenics. That's all you hear now. Well, that's I what can recall uh, when I was in high school, we were given Brave New World for summer reading. Yeah, I came back senior year, and I was ranting and raving to my classmates, my teacher, "Can't you see this is what's happening?" Yeah, and yeah. no one got it. And no one read the book either because it was summer reading. And even if it was during school time, they still wouldn't have read it. They would have cheated. They all cheated. There was another thing in Philly here uh, about a month ago. Some of our highest-ranking schools have been caught cheating on tests. And I had to laugh because the cheating. I went to one of those schools, and the cheating was always going on. I can remember going around during the lunchroom and stealing all their cheat sheets. Yeah. Just to be the little, you know, the little smart punk I was back then. Mm-hmm. I guess I still am now to a degree, but, you know, I'm on my way. Mm-hmm, yeah. But no, no, Before I... Lo- oh, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say, too, that, uh, I mean, in, in, in places like Los Angeles there, in Hollywood, it's, it's quite common and normal for a, a single wealthy woman to order the sperm that she wants uh, and from what ethnic uh, group she wants it from. Uh, what height was the father? Heights, the whole bit, uh, work. Well, even those actors go back mm-hmm. generations upon generations. I was watching a black and white uh, adaptation, movie adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Mr. Hyde, and it was mm-hmm. a Barrymore, and that was like 1921. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't forget, too, that uh, people in the societies who are all for this global government. It's not just about government. It's a whole different society they're talking about, you understand. And even Shelley, Shelley, when he was with a, a bunch of other writers and, and famous people of his day, and, and his wife, uh, yeah, they actually talked about this. His wife wrote the, the Frankenstein book, you know. Well, and, she, um, did create, she did write a book about a scientist making a man. Yeah, she did. You know, you know what I don't understand? In the science fiction I grew up with, Mm-hmm. These mad eugenicists and social Darwinists and the uh, creatures uh, attempting to cr- turn humans into a collective intelligent hive mind, yeah. they were always the villain. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. why would you depict the villain in order to push what is the goal? Wouldn't you have the hero trying to make that happen? Well, actually, the, 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 this is the, the, the trick with psychology. And how often you bring in the opposite of what you think, what you think 
where you've got limited knowledge of what's going on, you what you think is supposed to be brought in. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an occultic technique. There's a lot of occultic techniques in, in uh, behavior modification, uh, ruling behavior, upgrading behavior. Uh, uh, there's a lot of tricks played, and the victim must never really know how it's happening or, or it won't work. Uh, so you you play the same things which have been proven to work over thousands of years, uh, and it's also a technique of uh, making you feel safe. Oh, that will never happen. Oh, that that could never happen. And, uh, and what it's actually doing, even as you're watching those kind of movies or reading those books, is programming you to the possibility. So it opens your mind to it and familiarizes you with a sequence of events. Ooh, you know what? I remember that happening. I was watching uh, years ago an episode of the 1990s animated X-Men series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were showing the origin of uh, one of their mad uh, eugenicist villains, who yeah. they called Mr. Sinister. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Sinister has two meanings. It means to the left and, in the modern sense, evil. That's right. And I could go on about that, but I'll put that on hold. But anyhow, at the end of the episode, my boy turns to me and says, well, why were the townspeople chasing the, the sinister character out of town if he was just healing people? Mm-hmm. And I turned to him and said, well, you know, sinister just means to the left. So he was just thinking to the left, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And that corroborates what you just said before I gave that little uh, anecdote to that cartoon I watched as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, there's a left-hand path and a right-hand path are dexterous. Now, what I always wondered, why is the left associated with evil going back forever? It goes back into ancient times where it all began, uh, where the religions came out of, in fact, um, even desert peoples to do with uh, hygiene uh, and what hand you use for certain things. And uh, whereas the other one was clean, and you could shake hands, etc. But that one was always considered dirty. But they, because they were down on, on so much down on women, they always associated that eventually when it came into the knightly orders of being sinister as well. Uh, not quite clean, not quite uh, open, uh, devious. That's another term they gave to it too. Uh, so that's how that came out to be. Yeah. What exactly does uh, mercurial mean? Mercurial? I might touch on that when I come back from this break. Hold on. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. And just to explain the, the mercurial, I suppose, it's not, it's not the computer type is mercurial that the, the, the color meant, but um, it's to do with mercury itself. Because mercury is a planet that's got a strange orbit that comes really close in and then far out again. In other words, it's, it's fire and water, that's what they call it, fire and water. And fire and water also pertains to the, to the temperament of the person, where you're quick to anger. And uh, but you can also be quick to cool down. But it's all also means as well. Uh, I mean, all uh, the symbols of Mercury. Wherever you see symbols anywhere, take good note of them because Mercury was the messenger, remember, of the gods. And Mercury um, uh, also um, 
is, uh, as I say, it's fire and water. It's two different things. But it's his patron saint as well for soldiers, mercenaries. That's where you get merc from, mercenary. And merchants. So it's an odd that, isn't it? Merchants too. Just like today, you know, you get the merchant, the merchants to go in first and, and take down a country and the merchants or the corporations we call them today take over and, and plunder them. So that's our patron saint is the messenger. And of course he brings from God the wrath of God or he can bring uh, peaceful tidings depending if you just give in and surrender first or whatever. So uh, symbols are highly important by the societies who rule today. And look at the big corporate logos and study them because you'll learn an awful, awful lot uh, about really how they really work. And where they'll never admit something blatantly to you or to the media in, a, in your spoken language. They certainly will represent it by the emblems that they actually use. And I'll always remember that. Look at the emblem for the United Nations, for instance, and you'll see the, the oak leaves. That's for, for victory. The victory of what conquering the planet. That's what it's for. And then look at all the sections as they, as they cut the globe into the grids and count them. And you'll be, those who have been into studying masonry and different stuff will understand what it all means. And quite openly, openly too. I'll just finish tonight too by putting up, uh, communitarianism, uh, is the way for the future in the US too. It's got many names, by the way. But Agenda 21, uh, sustainable living, the Millennium Project, all from the United Nations, uh, are involved now with uh, the housing and urban development projects across the states. And the U.S. government's put in millions and millions of dollars into it now. It says Washington, for the first time ever, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development is awarding uh, nearly $100 million in new grants to support more livable and sustainable communities across the country. It says HUD, that's the HUD, uh, Secretary Sean Donovan today announced that 45 regional areas, again, cutting into regions in the, in the states, will receive funding through a new initiative intended to build economic competitiveness. Uh, who are you going to compete with? I don't know. China. By connecting housing with jobs, uh, quality schools and transportation. Now remember, when you look at all of this, uh, and you've read the Agenda 21, it says, says quite, quite plainly there'll be no private transportation in these communities. And it's true enough, some of them that they're built already elsewhere, you're not allowed to travel through by car, unless it's, it's essential vehicles only, ambulance, fire, uh, and so on, police. Uh, and that's to be the same way in Britain. Now, they told people in Britain for years to go by uh, um, the commercial trains and buses uh, and etc. You, you don't need your cars anymore. Now they're into communitarianism. They're actually cutting thousands of jobs on the railroads, etc. In other words, you're stuck in your little community, just like the new Soviet, which we actually are all in, uh, or the rest of us will be shortly. That's your new world order. But we don't have to live that long. 2050, most of us will be gone. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. Remember, buy the books and the discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com.